You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. We are delighted uh, to welcome everyone to this morning's discussion on the future of Iraq. Please allow us to give a very special welcome to U.S. Ambassador Matthew Tuller, to Iraqi Ambassador Fareed Yassin, and to the representative of the Kurdistan Regional Government, Dr. Bayan Sami Abdelrahman. We're honored to have you with us this morning to share your perspectives on the path ahead for U.S.-Iraqi relations and recent developments in Iraq. We would also like to express our gratitude to the U.S. Embassy in Iraq, the Embassy of Iraq in Washington, and the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation for their partnership of this work and of all of the things that we do in Iraq. And a very special welcome to Ambassador Tuller, who is joining us from Baghdad. USIP is very proud of our efforts over many years in Iraq, which have focused on bridging agreements between local communities, preventing violence, and helping to lay the groundwork for the safe and voluntary return of Iraqis who have been displaced by conflict. We're particularly proud of the work that we've done with our partners on the ground to help forge reconciliation agreements in some of the communities that have been hardest hit, including Tikrit, Hawija, and Tel Afar, and of our support to religious and ethnic minority communities as they recover from the devastation left behind by ISIS. This is a pivotal year for all of us, and particularly for Iraq. There will be national elections in October. The social and economic impact of the pandemic continues to be felt across the country. Demands for better services and an end to corruption continue. Tensions within the country and the region more broadly must be addressed and the ongoing threat of ISIS cannot be ignored. The visit of Pope Francis earlier this month was historic. It was a wonderful moment when the world again remembered and celebrated Iraq's deep and very rich religious, cultural, and ethnic diversity in that spirit. We're so pleased that we have the chance this morning to reflect together on the direction of the relationship, partnership, and cooperation between the U.S. and Iraq. It's in that spirit that we're very pleased to turn over to Dr. Sahan Hamad Saeed, who is the director of our programs there, and he's going to introduce our panelists and moderate our discussion. Before we do that, if we can encourage everyone to engage with us on Twitter, with the hashtag, what's next Iraq? Dr. Saha. Uh, thank you, Lise, uh, for your remarks and your thoughtful insights. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are. <clears throat> My name is uh, Sar Hamasayi. I'm director of Middle East programs here at USIP. It is truly an honor for me to moderate the discussion with our distinguished uh, panelists. To start off, we will have a remarks by Ambassador Tuller, followed by Ambassador Yassin, and then Representative uh, Abdurrahman. Uh, we've asked uh, each one of them to speak uh, for about seven minutes, and then we will go to a moderated discussion, including questions uh, from, uh, from the audience. We invite our viewers to take part in this event by asking questions through the comments section on the live stream uh, on the USIP website. Um, and uh, we you can also engage with us and each other on Twitter through the hashtag What's Next uh, Iraq. Uh, 
Uh, my colleagues will collect and send your questions to me, and I'll do my best to get to as many of them uh, as uh, possible. Uh, Lise highlighted uh, some key issues uh, in her remarks as it relates to Iraq and the relationship, uh, uh, a bilateral relationship uh, between um, uh, the United States and Iraq. Uh, to unpack one, um, say, where would Iraq fit in the Biden administration's priorities? Uh, what would uh, that mean in practical terms? How would tensions with Iran affect U.S.-Iraq relations? Uh, President Biden knows Iraq well. Uh, would that translate into more emphasis on Iraq or other factors uh, like domestic, regional, and global forces um, uh, uh, or issues uh, force a different uh, direction? Uh, these would affect the calculation of uh, many actors. Uh, our speakers are serving in the front lines of diplomacy and working the issues that affect answers to those questions. Uh, similar to peace building, uh, people are at the center of diplomatic work, and I believe that our speakers not only serve in their roles with distinction, uh, being who they are and how they served in their roles has made a positive difference during testing times. Uh, we will start the panel with our first distinguished speaker, Ambassador Matthew Tuller, U.S. Ambassador to Iraq since 2019. Uh, prior to that, he served as Ambassador to Yemen. Ambassador to Kuwait and Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Cairo, just to name a few junctures in, um, in his rich diplomatic career. Ambassador Tuller, uh, great to have you with us for uh, your first and hopefully not the last event of uh, USIP's Iraq uh, program, and uh, uh, the floor is yours. Well, uh, thank you very much, and good morning, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'd really like to thank the United States Institute for Peace for inviting me to speak uh, with you today. In particular, I'd like to thank and, uh, and greet uh, USCIP President Lise Grande, with whom I've had the opportunity to serve on the front lines of diplomacy before. And then, of course, uh, Dr. Sarhang uh, Hamasaid, uh, uh, thank you very much for uh, the invitation and for moderating. And of course, I'd really like to extend warm greetings and thanks to Ambassador Yassin, Representative Bayan Abdurrahman, for, for joining me today on this important discussion. But perhaps I should begin by uh, wishing everybody a happy Nairuz, uh, particularly to those celebrating in Iraq and throughout the world. This is uh, such a wonderful time to mark the beginning of spring, a new year, uh, and to reflect on the past and march forward with hopes for something that we all um, expect to be uh, newer and perhaps uh, a sweeter season of life. Similarly, of course, a new U.S. administration brings fresh eyes to old challenges, and we're fortunate in our system in the U.S. that every four or eight years we get to have a new set of eyes looking at old challenges, particularly those right now facing Iraq and the region. And these eyes bring fresh lenses to some of the challenges we face. But of course, there will be continuity because U.S. interest in this, uh, in this uh, vital region, in this vital country, will not change. As I speak to you today, we're less than a week past the anniversary of the appalling criminal and, yes, genocidal massacre of Halabja. The horrors of that march are burned into the very core of America's policy, and the lessons from March 16th of 1988 are not subject to any change in U.S. administrations. We're also less than a week past the mark of two years since the, last, since the last inch of Iraqi ground was finally recaptured from the terror and subjection of ISIS. I can assure you that President Biden stands firm with his predecessors and with all Iraqis in his commitment to building an Iraq where no such horror can ever happen again. 
President Biden has made it clear that the COVID-19 crisis, economic relief, and climate change are priorities for his administration. Getting the pandemic under control is his top priority, not only to save thousands of lives daily, but also because it is essential to economic recovery. This is also true for economic growth in the Middle East. The economic crisis is shared, especially because of COVID-19, which will return to threaten U.S. national security if we do not bring it under control everywhere around the globe. The president also recognizes there's no greater long-term challenge than climate change. We all need to raise our climate ambitions. We are committed to working with countries in the region on how we can maximize contributions to the Paris Agreement goals. Climate change is a real problem in Iraq, which already is affected by water scarcity and limited access to potable water. Temperatures are rising and droughts are more frequent, exacerbating poor harvests. We also support Iraq's urgently needed efforts to reform and diversify in its state-centric oil-dependent economy. Iraq presented a white paper on economic reform in October of last year and a reform imp implementation plan in January. We hope these reforms go from paper to reality and we appreciate the finance minister, deputy prime minister Ali Alawi's leadership on these issues. This is essential for Iraq to create a vibrant private sector that will attract investment and create jobs. Part of this reform process includes supporting Iraqi efforts to diversify its sources of energy, helping Iraq reduce glass, gas flaring, develop renewable energy resources, and connect to neighboring electrical grids will reduce waste and pollution, wean Iraq off of dependence on its neighbor to the east, and provide a better quality of life for ordinary Iraqis. We continue to encourage the GOI and KRG to explore ways to cooperate more on energy issues. The United States is resolute in its commitment to supporting a stable, sovereign, democratic, and prosperous Iraq. As Secretary Blinken has said, we will continue to be a steady, reliable partner that supports Iraq's anti-corruption and economic reform efforts, help it improve regional relationships, provide humanitarian assistance, back efforts to control undisciplined militias, and advise and assist Iraqi counterterrorism forces. We're ready to engage in meaning meaningful diplomacy to achieve a mutual return to compliance with the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. If we return to the JCPOA, we intend to engage in talks to strengthen and lengthen Iran's nuclear constraints and address other issues such as Iraq's subsidies uh, to uh, militia groups, its destabilizing activities in the region, its missile programs, and its own human rights violations and abuses. The president seeks to engage with Iran for the good of America, Iran, and Iraq, but he will not sacrifice Iraq's sovereignty or security to achieve that. I also want to reiterate that we will elevate human rights issues across our foreign policy agenda, and we will defend the rights of activists, political dissidents, and journalists around the world to speak their minds freely without fear of reprisal and violence. President Biden promised that America would put human rights at the core of America's foreign policy, quote, not by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. On security issues, it's so important to note that the Pope's visit went so extraordinarily well. Its success reflects positively on the development of Iraq's and the KRG's security apparatus. It was not so long ago that such a visit would not have been possible. Nevertheless, insecurity continues. Recent rocket attacks are a threat to Iraqis as well as Americans and our global de-ISIS coalition partners and to diplomacy in the region. 
Just recently, there were three attacks on areas that host U.S. diplomats, service members, or contractors in the space of one week. President Biden and Prime Minister Kadami agreed that those responsible must be held to account. The president therefore authorized the February 25th strikes on a location across the border in Syria in response to recent attacks against American and other coalition personnel in Iraq and to ongoing threats to those personnel. The targets were chosen to correspond to the recent attacks. The facilities were utilized by Kitab Sayyid al-Shuhada and Kitab Hezbollah and to diminish the risk of additional attacks. We will continue to work with the government of Iraq and the Kurdish regional government to address Iran-backed militias and Iran's destabilizing activities in Iraq. These groups are responsible for attacks on our diplomats and armed forces members, as well as attacks on Iraqi citizens, other coalition forces, non-governmental organizations, and UN convoys. The Iraqi government must uphold its duties to protect foreign missions and hold those responsible for the attacks accountable. Defeating ISIS remains a priority security mission for us in Iraq. The dual suicide bombings in Baghdad in January served as a sobering reminder of the threat that terrorism continues to pose despite the loss of ISIS's physical caliphate. The presence of U.S. forces in Iraq is at the invitation of the Iraqi government to carry out a limited mission focused on advising and assisting Iraqi counterterrorism forces, including Peshmerga, to prevent ISIS's reemergence re as a threat to the American people or our friends or allies in the region. We will continue to maintain that presence as long as necessary to assist the Iraqi government in preventing ISIS from terrorizing the Iraqi people and threatening regional security. Iraq's upcoming elections represent a turning point for Iraqi democracy. We believe effective international um, election monitors would be instrumental in boosting confidence in the electoral process and preventing a repeat of the low turnout of the 2018 election, which resulted in Iran-aligned parties making gains in the Council of Representatives. Our status as the penholder in the UN Security Council on this issue gives us added responsibility to advocate for an effective solution. Our leadership is committed to supporting efforts to ensure the most credible, transparent, and inclusive elections promise. Let me just say in closing for a moment, the fact that just a few weeks ago, Pope Francis held a mass in front of 10,000 faithful in the Franco Hariri Stadium in Erbil. On this regard, we applaud the Kurdish regional government and the people of the Iraqi Kurdish region for opening their hearts and their doors to religious and ethnic minorities from across Iraq and Syria who were displaced by the savagery of ISIS. I join the president in congratulating the government of Iraq and the people of Iraq, including the Kurdish regional government for the care and planning that went into this monumental visit. The visit of His Holiness the Pope to Najaf indicates the importance Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani places on religion and its dialogue and peace and tolerance. The Pope's visit reaffirms Iraq as a land of, co of coexistence and religious tolerance and diversity. The papal visit also opens a new book or rather reopens an old one for Iraq is a place where those who are vulnerable or in the minority are not passed over or enslaved and murdered, but instead welcomed, respected, and given equal access to opportunity. In the United States, we will continue to work together to create a brighter tomorrow for Iraq's children and grandchildren, and we'll continue to work together to build that Iraq together. Thank you. Um, thank you, um, uh, Ambassador Tuller. Uh, that was a great uh, set of issues for a very positive agenda for the relationship uh, of the two countries, and we'll uh, get back to discussing some of those in the uh, Q&A and moderated session. 
Uh, now we go to our second distinguished speaker, Ambassador Farid Yassin, who has been serving as Iraq's ambassador uh, to the U.S. Uh, since 2016. Prior to that, he served as ambassador to France, again, among uh, many um, uh, accomplishments and a uh, rich career. Uh, we have had the honor to host him in USIP events in person and also now in virtual mode uh, many times. Uh, uh, great to have you back. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you, Dr. Sarhang. I, uh, uh, let me start off by uh, thanking USIP for uh, hosting this uh, very timely event. Uh, I really want to acknowledge your remarkable work in Iraq. Uh, it is uh, something that does a lot of good on the ground. Uh, and I want to acknowledge especially uh, Lise Grande, who uh, knows and has seen more, more of Iraq than I, I think ever I ever will, and thank her for her service there. Uh, I want to acknowledge also you, uh, dear uh, Sarhang. There are two people on this panel that I would have loved uh, my minister to appoint as colleagues as ambassadors of Iraq. That's you, and that's uh, Bayan Khanum. And I also want to acknowledge uh, Matt Tuller, my counterpart in, uh, in Baghdad and friend, and also, of course, Bayan Khanum for the wonderful work she's doing in our excellent collaboration. Uh, and I have to start by acknowledging the season. Um, the month of March is a remarkable month uh, for Iraq. It's a time of uh, reflection, of joy, but also uh, of remembrance uh, because of all the events that uh, that uh, Matt uh, referred to. Um, you know, the, the, the tragedy of Halabja, uh, the uh, uh, start of the war in 2003, um, which was both the liberation and uh, something of an occupation. Um, and uh, of course, uh, no rules, uh, which is a rebirth. And now we have something else to remember it by, which is the uh, visit of the Pope. And it's a visit that I actually watched with a lot of apprehension because I remember uh, the first visit by a high-ranking um, uh, South American uh, peacemaker uh, to Iraq in 2003. That was Sergio de Bello who I can't say was a friend of mine. I think had he lived, we would have become friends, but I've interacted with him. And his loss actually is, is killing by, by ISIS, by the precursors of ISIS, um, set us back. It's a real loss and I, and I really mourn him and I wanted to acknowledge him. Um, as he was dying, his message to the people he was working with was to stay the course. And I think this is the first of the three messages that I take out of the uh, Pope Francis's visit to Iraq, stay the course. He went to Iraq in spite of the threat of corona, in spite of his frail health, and in spite of the security risks. Uh, and I want to acknowledge that. Uh, and uh, to, to add to it all, I think his, uh, his apostolic nuncio in, in, in Baghdad came up with uh, corona just before he arrived. Uh, so thank him for that. That's the first of his messages. The second message that I, that I took out of his visit was a message of support and healing to the Christian communities in Mosul and Baghdad which uh, was to those participants, and I know some of them who were at one of those churches that was blown up in 2010, nothing short of miraculous. And then, of course, there is this message of universal brotherhood and peace that he exemplified in his visit uh, to Ayatollah Sistani and to the wonderful uh, multi-religious, multi-ethnic uh, event he held in, in Ur, uh, the birthplace of Prophet Abraham, uh, to whom we, uh, whom we all revere. In short, uh, the Pope uh, went to Iraq 
uh, he was embraced. He embraced the Iraqis, all of them. He was embraced by them. And that led to an emotional high. And I'm really gratified that uh, in the wake of this uh, conference, this visit, the prime minister called for a national dialogue that I think, uh, based on the spirit, can uh, open up many, many doors. All this being said, the uh, let's uh, not gloss over things. The situation in Iraq is still challenging. Uh, we have a fraught political situation. Our institutions are not fully recovered. We still, for example, have uh, financial practices that uh, uh, revert back to the 19th century in, in paper and pen, and sometimes I think in quill. Uh, we do have a uh, difficult budgetary and economic situation. And we do have a difficult social uh, situation because of our uh, large number of youth that are, that are finding it difficult to find jobs and are dissatisfied as they should be with the services. Top it all off, we have, uh, we're affected by, like everybody else, by COVID-19. We are in a post-conflict situation with all that implies in terms of armed groups, uh, internally displaced persons, refugee camps. We still have to face remnants of ISIS, uh, sleeper cells, and uh, roving bands. And we have a, also a, a difficult geopolitical context with the tensions between the United States and Iran and the tensions between the United, the, uh, the Iran and the GCC, all of which are neighbors with whom we want to have good relationship. Um, so the situation is challenging, but uh, I don't think it is hopeless, far from it. I think we have a good and, and popular prime minister, full disclosure, uh, he's an old friend of mine. Um, uh, but the good thing uh, that I want to stress is that the government that we have now really recognizes the difficulties we're facing. And uh, moreover, they are acting to propose solutions and acting on them. Uh, as, uh, uh, as Matt Tuller said, this is a critical component. It's good to have plans and, uh, and, and strategies, but you have to put, make them happen on the ground. Um, so uh, the uh, government came in with uh, uh, what I'd call a good governance program, uh, which was based on the uh, assertion of Iraqi sovereignty, on the uh, establishment of early elections, on a program that would undertake, uh, which for short I'll call DDR, disarmament, uh, demobilization, and reintegration. And uh, I think uh, pointedly uh, fighting corruption, which the government sees as an equal threat to uh, to, to terrorism. Uh, it, it did take uh, some concrete steps to uh, to uh, address the situation. One was a very unpopular devaluation, but it was something that is really necessary. It is intent on working on diversifying the economy to get us rid of the total dependence on on oil, and it is it has worked and has achieved quite a bit of uh, progress in terms of inter integrating Iraq within the region, uh, eastward towards uh, Jordan and Egypt, southward towards the GCC, and uh, northward and, and, and eastward towards Iran and Turkey. And also uh, a better integration with the world uh, with, uh, for example, uh, an opening up that I'm, I'm happy to report, which is that now uh, uh, citizens of many friendly countries and particularly the United States can go to uh, Baghdad and get a visa there without uh, 
going through the hassle of uh, applying for one uh, at, an, at an Iraqi embassy. Uh, that actually makes me happy because it makes, gives me less work. Um, and also we have, uh, and, I, and that, that's something that I think should be emphasized. We've adopted the New York Convention, which will facilitate uh, the uh, legal environment and uh, uh, insurances that uh, companies willing to invest and do business in Iraq uh, will, will have. Uh, we've worked, on, the government has also worked on promoting partnerships and alliances. I know we, we actually do need our friends and partners within the region, the GCC, Jordan, Egypt, I mentioned them, Turkey and Iran. Globally, the EU, uh, the P5, uh, G7, of course, the USA. And, you know, when, when we say, when our, some of our officials say that, you know, the, Iran is our neighbor and the United States is a friend, um, this encapsulates a lot of truths that we have to deal with. First of all, geography is geography and history is history. And uh, it also uh, spells the fact that we are with this, not willing to be part of any, to any conflict in the region and not to be part of any axis against any other axis in the region. Uh, it's part of our independence and our assertion of, of, of sovereignty. Nonetheless, uh, of all our friends, uh, the United States is what the friend that I describe as indispensable. Uh, they have indispensable in helping us to fight ISIS in uh, navigating the financial straits that we find ourselves in and have been very assertive and very, very friend of, of, of uh, um, forceful in helping us uh, reach out and uh, achieve progress with our friends in the GCC. Now, in the United States, uh, as Matt mentioned, there is a new administration. Um, uh, of course, uh, U.S. interests uh, are, are, uh, have, don't, are uh, independent of whichever uh, um, administration sits in the White House. Uh, and I've expressed this differently by, by saying uh, at other, other fora that uh, fact reality prevails. Uh, but uh, the truth is, uh, this new administration feels very much like an old administration. It includes, you know, many, many people who might consider uh, not only uh, professional contacts, but also friends, people I've known for over a decade. Um, and so, uh, and, and these are people who know Iraq uh, very, very well, who have followed the ups and downs that we've gone through. Um, and, and so uh, it, it, it makes our, us work a little easier in the sense that uh, you don't have to sit down and explain the difficulties and the complexities of Iraq. Very often when you deal with people who don't know or don't have a background in dealing with Iraq, uh, they tend to be reductive in, uh, in addressing the issues in, uh, of Iraq and, you know, Shia, Sunni, Kurd kind of thing. And Iraq is much more complex and cannot be reduced to such simplifying assumptions. So these are old friends. Uh, who, who know. And uh, with them, I, I do hope and expect that we will continue uh, our cooperation. All, all the, the issues that I mentioned above, their support to us in the regional integration, the uh, continued fight against ISIS. But I think at this point, uh, we should look at uh, a phase of what I'd call normalization uh, in the sense that the United States uh, is now moving towards helping us stand on our own feet uh, in terms of military uh, capabilities, for example, so that at some point in, in the near future, we will be able to uh, uh, deal with our own uh, security needs on our own without having to uh, re revert or, or request assistance from, uh, from uh, outsiders, however friendly they are. Um, 
we expect the United States to help us in our economic reforms. I want to signal in this the uh, role of the private sector uh, and uh, in specifically the work of the uh, uh, U.S. Chamber. They've uh, recently come up with a very, very useful document uh, of recommendations to work with highlighting four key areas, uh, very topical, very timely, uh, cooperation on, on COVID, um, developments of our uh, electrical system by increasing gas capture, which would, of course, as was mentioned by uh, uh, my friend Matt, uh, would improve the uh, uh, environmental situation. Uh, financial reform, that is a critical component. Uh, anybody who's had to transfer money in and out of Iraq uh, has seen how difficult it is. And then the establishment of what they call free, free economic zones. I think that might make it easier for uh, foreign investors to uh, invest in Iraq in uh, economically viable projects. Um, and this, I, I'd, I'd like to say that this trend towards normalization, I, I uh, sort of recognize in developments in the United States right now, there is a bill in Congress that seeks to uh, repeal the AUMF. I think it's uh, something that I consider as, as part of a, of, a, of a normalization, the ending of a phase, the beginning of a new one, of partnership, of looking forward instead of you know trying to always base our uh, 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 interactions on what happened in the past. Um, and also, I look forward to the United States to help us address uh, global challenges from which we've been absent. Uh, first amongst those is, is climate change. Uh, I don't know if uh, those of you uh, who lived through uh, Washington in, in, in July may remember an article that was published in the Washington Post, which talked about the record temperatures registered in Baghdad in July. Uh, I think something like 55 degrees centigrade or something like that, where they cautioned that Baghdad could be, uh, you know, a template for for future Iraqi cities, uh, sorry, American cities. Um, Iraq, uh, in in terms of uh, of uh, resilience and uh, preparedness, ranks pretty low. I think uh, and, and the University of Notre Dame has a ranking of uh, preparedness vis-a-vis -vis the changes anticipated through climate change. And I think we rank some like 164 um, out of 190 or 200, which is not um, difficult given given the, the region we're in and and the base temperature that we that we uh, that we live through um, so I, I look forward towards the uh, United States helping us in this uh, they have in fact uh, through uh, the support they we've, we've received in terms of capturing flared gas but there are many areas where we could work uh, on uh, you know mitigating uh, climate change through reforestation through uh, the adoption of better standards in terms of uh, buildings and 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 and, uh, and energy transmission, and I'd like to add one point: is that of all the countries uh, that are part of the G7, uh, the United States is the only one that has uh, parts of its territory where you find a climate similar to that of Iraq's. So their companies are actually and institutions are better geared towards addressing helping us address our problems than those of our other partners. Uh, that's uh, you know, a, 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 an invitation, if you will. On a personal note, uh, climate change is a subject that is very uh, near and dear to me. Uh, uh, you know, practically 25 years ago, 
I started on the 18th of March, 1996. I started working for the Climate Change Secretariat in Bonn. I attended uh, COP2, COP3, and COP4 as member of the Secretariat uh, at COP3. In fact, I did meet um, Secretary Kerry, who was at the time uh, the junior senator from Massachusetts. I doubt that he remembers, but that actually did happen. Um, and then uh, in 2006 and 2007, uh, uh, through uh, work under the current uh, president of Iraq, Barham Sadek, as part of the uh, Iraq Compact, I put the adhesion to the uh, Rio conventions, including climate change, uh, on the agenda of the Iraqi government. And we adhered to the convention in 2009. And just a couple of years ago, we ratified uh, the uh, Paris Agreement. I was uh, later on a member of the Iraqi delegation, in fact, head of the Iraqi delegation at uh, COP10. We were not members at the time. Uh, that was in 2004. But I also participated in, in the all-important uh, Paris Agreement. And I'd like to say that we have compiled our, our national uh, document uh, under the Paris uh, Accord. But as uh, uh, Matt knows very well, uh, this is something that is uh, that we're incited and invited to um, revise upwards. And I can assure you that there is all the, all the will in, in the Iraqi government to do that, because as I said, this is a real problem. Uh, so this is something that I look forward to working on uh, together with our colleagues in the United States, uh, and most particularly at the forthcoming uh, strategic dialogue uh, that we will hold, uh, I think, uh, sadly, virtually, would have been a lot better to hold in person uh, next month. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you, Ambassador uh, Yassin. I appreciate that. And I, it's great to see that there is a, a, a great set of over, areas of overlap from what Ambassador um, uh, Tuller described and on, from the U.S. perspective and what you are describing from the Iraqi government perspective and obviously based on uh, areas uh, of common priority and, again, a positive agenda uh, is uh, forming in that. So uh, before we go to the questions and answers, uh, I'd like to now go last but not least um, move to hear from uh, Ms. Bayan Sami Abdurrahman, the representative of the Kurdistan Regional Government uh, in Washington. Um, the, she's been serving in this position since 2015. Before that, she, has, uh, she was the KRG's representative uh, to the United Kingdom. Um, again, in uh, uh, stops in her career, rich career, uh, many more to, to highlight, uh, but in the interest of time, we'll go to uh, her. And we had the honor to host her uh, at USIP events many times as well. Uh, great to have you back. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Kak Sarhan. Uh, I'd like to greet uh, Lisa Grande, uh, president of USIP. Very good to see you. And uh, thank you, Dr. Sarhan, and also Ambassador Tula, Ambassador Yassin. Uh, you both really covered most of the points, so I don't want to repeat them. I agree with everything that both of you said. So please assume I said everything you said as well. So what I'm saying is really in addition rather than in replacement of what their excellencies said. Uh, first, I, I would like to thank uh, the U.S. Uh, Department of State and the Iraqi Embassy and Ambassador Yassin for their support uh, during our Halabja commemoration last week and the kind words they expressed today. Halabja really has come to symbolize all of the genocides in uh, Kurdistan, Anfal, the killing of the Barzanis, the Kakeis, uh, 
all of the displacements and forced uh, demographic changes that took place. So we appreciate and note that uh, you both expressed your condolences and your support on that occasion. And also happy Nowruz to everybody who is celebrating here and back home as well. Um, I think I would like to also mention Pope Francis's visit. Um, I know you both mentioned it, but really it was historic in the true sense. And it's something that I think will live in the collective memory of Iraqis, whether we are Christian, Muslim, Yazidi, Kurdish or Arab, Turkoman, Assyrian. His Holiness Pope Francis's visit really was a unifying moment for the people of Iraq. And I wish we had more of these moments. His message of uh, peace and fraternity was very important. And we in the Kurdistan region certainly hope that all sides can build on that message. His visit was very much needed, a very, very positive moment that shone a light of hope over the country. And we hope that that uh, glow and moment of peace and joy can continue to stay. I would also add, I believe that Pope Francis gave voice to the minorities, to the Christians, to the Yazidis, and anybody who feels persecuted. I think he gave voice to their concerns and empowered them, uh, shone a light on their situation for all of us in Iraq to take note of. I think it's important for us in the Kurdistan region to thank the United States for all of the support that we've had from the US over the years. This year, we're marking the 30th anniversary of Operation Provide Comfort. The anniversary actually falls next month in, in April, and you will see that there will be commemorative events both in Erbil, in Europe, and hopefully here also in the United States. Operation Provide Comfort was, as you know, a military humanitarian operation, uh, largely by the United States and the UK, but also other countries like France, that provided a protection for the people of Kurdistan against Saddam Hussein. It also really gave us the shelter and the protection that we needed to be able to lay the foundations that have resulted in what we have today in Kurdistan. Today, Kurdistan is a safe haven for anybody who's fleeing persecution, particularly the religious minorities. And I appreciate Ambassador Tula recognizing that earlier. We would like to celebrate Operation Provide Comfort as a message of thanks to our partners in the United States, the United Kingdom, and other coalition partners that have supported us as we have fought ISIS and tried to protect our people and the people of Iraq in general. Kurdistan region remains a safe haven for religious minorities, and we hope that that will continue. We do need the coalition, the United States, the UN, European countries, Canada, Australia, to stay the course with us. And I'm pleased to see that NATO is considering beefing up its presence in Iraq as it uh, continues to professionalize and support uh, Iraqi military forces. We need the support of our partners to help us continue with the stabilization of Iraq in general and to protect the Kurdistan region in particular.
There are threats, as both ambassadors mentioned, from ISIS, from some ill-disciplined militia groups that have threatened not only coalition partners, the Iraqi government, but also the Kurdistan region. Uh, some of those militias, of course, fought very bravely against ISIS, but some of them are now causing problems to the stability of Iraq. And I think that needs to be addressed not only by all of us in Iraq, but also by our partners. Otherwise, how will the displaced people ever be able to return home? How will the Yazidis and Christians and even the Sunni Arabs and Shia, who are still displaced in the Kurdistan region, ever be able to return home unless we are able to secure their areas and provide services? Um, both their excellencies, the ambassadors mentioned elections in Iraq. And as I said, I'm really adding to what they said. Uh, they, they covered so many important areas. But one thing that uh, I think I should highlight is the secondary displacement that we're now seeing among internally displaced populations. Several camps, displacement camps, have been closed without really any thought put into where those displaced people will now go. And we're seeing secondary displacement. This is really a problem that's been created deliberately. I, I don't personally understand why this has happened. I'm also very concerned. How will those people be able to vote in the Iraqi election? I would argue that if you're a displaced person, your vote will matter more than anybody else's. You should be able to decide the next government more than anybody else, since you are the most affected. So this is a, a question that I think needs to be addressed. Why are these people being displaced a second time? What is being done to rehouse them, to take care of them? And how will they be able to vote in the forthcoming elections? With that, I would like to stop here. But again, thanks to the USIP, you've always been great partners of all of us in Iraq, including Kurdistan region, and also to thank Ambassador Yassin and Ambassador Tula. And over to you, Kaksarhan. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Bayan Khan, for uh, uh, your thoughtful and uh, rich remarks as well, uh, quite nicely complementing and adding to uh, what Ambassador Tula and Ambassador Yassin have uh, raised as well. Uh, just for our uh, audience and viewers, just to remind that uh, you can pose your questions through uh, the live stream uh, chat box there, and I have already received a, a good number of, uh, of, of questions uh, and, and falling nicely in the bucket of the bilateral relations uh, and the bucket of uh, the, the, the human legacy of ISIS and what to do, do with those challenges, elections, uh, regional actors and all of that. So, um, and uh, coming back to you, um, Ambassador uh, Tuller, we have uh, a question from, uh, uh, if I, I, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing the name, Zorika Maurice, uh, Marik. Um, and uh, the question is whether any significant changes result from the Biden administration's formal review of U.S. policy uh, in Iraq. Um, and if I may add uh, to that two um, uh, elements, is that one, uh, in the, uh, probably just a, over a year ago, there was a point of frustration in the relationship where the uh, 
decision makers, policy makers, Iraq watchers in Washington uh, were feeling that probably they do not have the partner, partner they need in Iraq to work with through, uh, through a, a, a positive agenda for, for the relationship of the two countries. Uh, what can you share today in terms of uh, where we are uh, in that partnership, having the partner that you, you need uh, in the relationship in Iraq? And uh, the second uh, aspect is that there has been one issue that keep, kept coming up in the past uh, few years is that the relationship uh, and the U.S. policy in Iraq was really dominated by either the response to the, uh, the conflict with ISIS or Iran. Uh, but what you laid out, what Ambassador Yassin laid out, what uh, um, uh, Ms. Rahman laid out, uh, there are some good uh, elements that it, it's just Iraq-centric. Uh, so, but the fact is that threats from uh, from uh, attacks, uh, I mean, continue, um, Ambassador Tuller, you've been on the receiving end firsthand uh, of uh, those threats. How 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 will you navigate that um, this positive agenda that you laid out in priorities and the security threat not derail, not take all all the bandwidth? So, uh, uh, coming to you for uh, for your comments, please. Well, thank you, Simon. Um, I, I think uh, Fareed said something very important. Of course, this administration includes a large number of people, beginning with President Biden, who have many, many years of experience, um, not just in the Middle East, but particularly in dealing with, uh, with Iraq. And I think that brings an appreciation for not only the complications of um, uh, issues related to Iraq, but also an appreciation for the very strong U.S. interest in having Iraq as a strong, stable, uh, secure, unified state. Um, I, I think that uh, clearly the uh, U.S. administration um, for now, while focusing to the extent possible on those domestic issues that, uh, that I outlined, uh, as uh, necessary, there will be uh, attention given to foreign policy uh, issues. And of course, Iran has been one that very immediately uh, pushed itself up into that area. What I can't say, however, I think this administration as it approaches uh, Iraq, is not going to do it simply through the lens of Iran. Understanding the importance of uh, uh, lowering the tensions with Iran and not allowing that uh, U.S.-Iran uh, uh, tensions to play out in Iraq, uh, I think there'll be a renewed commitment to looking at ways in which we can uh, help to stabilize the institutions of uh, the Iraqi government, because ultimately that is what will, will serve U.S. interest. And to the second part of your your question, uh, I think that those strong institutions that will be able to address what are really some of the most pressing threats to a strong, stable Iraqi state are corruption, a resurgence of ISIS, and the role that armed militias outside the control of the state. All three of those need to be addressed by strong Iraqi state institutions, not only in the security field, but of course building and strengthening the institutions of, in the political sphere and economic sphere. So uh, what I, I think as, uh, as you watch, you'll see that there will be a, a very great focus on building a strong relationship with Iraq because that in and of itself is important to US uh, interest in this region, over. Thank you, thank you, Ambassador Tuller. So, if I may come uh, to you, Ambassador uh, Yassin, and then uh, uh, Ms. Rahman after, on the Iraqi side of the relationship, I think uh, there was often times that the, the Iraqi request was 
don't put us, don't force us in one camp versus another. And, and that message came clearly uh, as well uh, but today, Ambassador Yassine. And you also uh, also shared a good uh, items of, uh, list of, from the items that um, uh, Ambassador Tuller mentioned. But in, in the Iraqi partnership, stepping up uh, and, and taking matters um, in its own hand to a certain extent and not uh, 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 responding to the general comment that usually that uh, the international community cannot fix these problems uh, for Iraq. Where do you see the Iraqi government stepping up? And second, you mentioned the uh, strategic dialogue. Uh, so, uh, can you also speak to um, where do you see the next steps uh, with that strategic dialogue? Uh, coming to you, Ambassador Yassin, and then to you, uh, Mr. Abdurrahman. Ambassador. Uh, thank you for this follow-up. <clears throat> so to, to paraphrase an American friend of mine, um, uh, he told me that uh, from seen from an um, American perspective, uh, Iraq is a country that that has a 360 degree strategic significance. Um, uh, like I said, uh, from our perspective, the United States is the indispensable friend, and so uh, you know we look to a to a and deepening and, and strengthening uh, relationship uh, with the United States. Um, the problems that, uh, that uh, you know, Matt mentioned are, are, are all there, uh, but, uh, and, and, and what I would like to assert is that the Iraqi government is aware of these. Uh, all you need to do is, is read the, uh, you know, the government program that was uh, approved uh, some like 10, 11 year, months ago. Um, and see that there has been, you know, some serious uh, efforts to implement this program. Sometimes uh, at, at running the risk of, of, of uh, uh, violence uh, in, in Baghdad. The main point that I'd like to make is that these problems have to be resolved in a way that is Iraqi and that works on an Iraqi time frame. And sometimes this is uh, the real problem: is that uh, you know the Iraqi time frame, time scale, um, is is not as fast as, as that of you know others. Uh, and so, uh, what I would what I would like to uh, emphasize is that, that our friends should exhibit a little more you know strategic patience with us uh, because we have the will, you know, we have the intent, we uh, are working on the means. Uh, but, uh, you know, our interests are aligned. Uh, you know, Iraq will not compromise on its sovereignty. The attacks on, uh, you know, the uh, bases and, 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 and foreign institutions actually have hurt more Iraqis than foreigners. Uh, that's something that we can't uh, overlook. Um, and we have to do something about this, and we are. Um, and uh, as to the point that uh, uh, Matt raised, which is all important, uh, about the need to strengthen Iraq's institutions, uh, that is critical. Uh, and please bear in mind that this is something that uh, is not new. It's an issue that we've been dealing with uh, ever since, uh, not the, the debuffification that happened in 2003 and four but actually the bathification that happened 20 years earlier or 30 years earlier when the uh, institutions of the of the state were stripped of very very competent and capable people for uh, others who were just you know uh, party hacks and so uh, we're we're trying to as as you can as I'm trying to convey the I'm trying to convey this idea to uh, fix as quickly as possible um, 
you know, damage that's been cumulative for over 30, 40 years, and we can't do it overnight. Over. Thank you, Ambassador. Uh, uh, Ms. Rahman. Uh, thank you very much, Kak Sarhang. Um, well, as has already been said, the Biden administration is extremely experienced, knows Iraq uh, and the entire region very, very well. Um, we are looking to see what this uh, policy review will result, result in. Uh, one of the things that uh, we would like to see from the Kurdistan region's point of view is greater engagement by Washington and our other partners in trying to achieve a longer-term sustainable settlement between Erbil and Baghdad. I think whichever side we're on, whichever lens we look through, it's uh, clear that uh, bad relations between Erbil and Baghdad are destabilizing for all of Iraq and damaging for Iraq's reputation and even possibly for the KLG's reputation. It's in all of our interest to have Erbil and Baghdad have a much stronger relationship, a deeper understanding of each other's needs and uh, challenges. And I think, frankly, this needs international engagement. Uh, we're very pleased when we hear President Biden, Biden and Secretary Blinken say that diplomacy is back. Well, this is where we need that diplomacy to be stepped up. I know uh, Ambassador Tula and uh, uh, Consul General Rob Waller in Erbil have discussed this issue many times between Erbil and Baghdad, but I think we need stronger engagement. We don't want to have an annual round of negotiations that goes on forever over, over the budget. Our issues between Erbil and Baghdad are more than just salaries. We have issues over the disputed territories. Those issues have been allowed to ferment and get worse and worse. There are many people in Kirkuk who still can't go home, people who feel harassed and pushed out of their homes. Uh, I mentioned earlier the Yazidis and Christians who've been displaced and still can't go home. Those are issues that we need to discuss in addition to energy uh, areas of discussion as well as um, the economy and the budget. And I think the United States, the UN, and other partners can play a great role in that. Um, Han, you mentioned the strategic dialogue and, and Ambassador Yassin mentioned that too. Um, the strategic dialogue last year was really a high point. Uh, it was quite remarkable that the Trump administration invited Prime Minister Kadhimi in the middle of the pandemic with very few world leaders able to visit Washington. And yet Prime Minister Kadhimi was invited to Washington with a big delegation that included, uh, of course, members from the Kurdistan regional government. This was a wonderful high point. But unfortunately, after that, it really fizzled out. Of course, there may be very good reasons for that. Uh, perhaps uh, the two ambassadors may, may want to address why the strategic dialogue kind of fizzled out for the remainder of 2020. But we're very pleased that it will resume uh, next month. And we hope that the dialogue will really begin to take off again and, and have a way of cementing this uh, solid relationship between the United States and Iraq. And I'll hand over back to you.
Thank you. Uh, if I may, I'd like to add a point if I could. Please, please go ahead. Um, so, of course, uh, you know, there are issues that are internal to Iraq that should be discussed by Iraqis, whether they're between the central government and, and the governorates or the regional governments. Um, uh, like I said, this is a, a, an Iraqi issue, and our friends and, 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 and uh, allies can certainly help uh, by um, providing us maybe with technical expertise and, uh, and advice. But in the end, this is, an, this is something that should be an Iraqi process. And I think uh, the, the best way to, to move forward is to take into account two uh, critical factors uh, that sometimes are not always uh, present. One is the need to have uh, as much transparency as, as you can. Uh, this is something that uh, I've been actually pushing for. Uh, you know, many years ago, Iraq was the first uh, OPEC member to uh, adhere to the uh, Transparencies Internationals um, uh, um, Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, which uh, clear, uh, seeks to shed light on how uh, uh, hydrocarbon revenues are are, are uh, gathered and spent. And I think the KRG has also uh, is also a participant in this. And the other uh, element that I think we should really focus on is is that of equity. Uh, um, and equity is. Uh, not equality, not uh, it's 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 something that's much broader that looks at the at the at the past, at the future, and at the needs of of all in relations to the others. Uh, and uh, I think if uh, we were to sit down and think of equity on an Iraqi basis amongst the Iraqis, we will reach an uh, an agreement that will uh, respond to our needs, and that will help us move beyond uh, the uh, difficulties that we've had so far. Over. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador. So I have uh, received uh, lots of questions, and we are a few minutes away from the, the time that we have uh, set, but uh, uh, all three speakers have kindly uh, accepted to stay a few more, more minutes if there was a good set of questions that we, we needed to tack through. So I think uh, we will probably go a few minutes over. Uh, one, the largest uh, uh, number of questions I received uh, touch on issues of justice and accountability. Uh, a good chunk of them related to uh, the conflict with ISIS, uh, and uh, there is some uh, also related to uh, debathification and the Accountability and Justice Commission. So, and uh, Iraq is a situation, unfortunately, that uh, different cycles of violence re uh, produce different uh, matters of justice and accountability that keep bleeding into each other. So um, if I come to you, uh, uh, Ambassador uh, Tuller, and I'm uh, happy for Ambassador uh, Yassin and uh, Mr. Rahman to comment on this as well, if they wish, is that I know uh, this is an area that uh, uh, justice and accountability, especially with the most complicated cases related to ISIS, the so-called ISIS families or perceived to be affiliated with ISIS, has been an issue that's coming up over and over again uh, that the Iraq and the international community continues to struggle with. Um, uh, where is that now in your conversations and priorities, uh, Ambassador Tuller? I know the, uh, uh, the embassy has been working with uh, its Iraqi partners on this issue, but we still have Al-Hol, uh, the Iraqis mostly still there. And uh, I'm pleased to report to this audience that uh, uh, next week we'll be hosting Iraq's uh, Minister for Migration and Displacement uh, to talk uh, and go and on a deep dive on this issue. Uh, so I will not be pressing for too much detail here, but just uh, since the, the many questions came up and out of respect, 
uh, for those who have asked, I would like to get uh, your thoughts, Ambassador um, uh, Tuller, on, uh, on the issue, and then I'll come to Ambassador Yassin and uh, uh, Mr. Rahman with an additional component that relates to them, said that now 18 years after the 2003 war, and uh, talking about all religions talk about uh, forgiveness and tolerance, hasn't it come time for the, uh, for the Accountability and Justice Commission in Iraq to be dissolved and let the justice uh, sector, the formal institutions of justice, take matters into their own hand? Um, uh, first to you, Ambassador Tuller. Okay, thank you. Well, there are a lot of layers of complexity to this problem. And of course, um, uh, we're aware that there are a very, very large number of former ISIS fighters who are in custody uh, of the uh, uh, Syrian Democratic Forces at uh, various ad hoc prison facilities in Northeast Syria. But Al Al-Hol, of course, a uh, camp that uh, right now, and it isn't a formal uh, refugee uh, camp, but it houses upwards of about 70,000 people, roughly 30 to 35,000 uh, are Iraqis. And amongst that population and the various other populations that coexist in, in the camp, there's a very, very large element that uh, are clearly not only families associated with ISIS who fled to Al-Hol after the uh, fall of uh, Baghouz, mm. but in fact, a number of ISIS elements and active um, uh, uh, elements uh, largely led by women who continue to um, uh, ideologically and in their activities and operational support enable uh, um, an ISIS uh, capability. However, there is a sub-portion of uh, the Iraqi uh, population at uh, Al-Hol uh, that were there displaced prior to the fall of Baghouz. And that's a particularly vulnerable group because they're being subjected to the uh, ongoing uh, pressure and isolation and uh, uh, conditions uh, by uh, in, inside the camp where elements of ISIS are largely controlling that. I would have said a year ago that we were right on the verge of at least getting those roughly 500 families out. Uh, COVID and a number of other factors intervened, but I think we're back on track and really very, very close now uh, to having um, uh, that as a first step to bring out uh, uh, that portion of the Iraqi population at Al-Hol. Uh, there's a location that's under preparation. We want to all make sure that the uh, uh, transfers take place not only safely, but consistent with best international practices. Uh, and then there is, uh, that begins a process for at least establishing how to begin to return to Iraq uh, that remaining population, which frankly is going to be much more difficult to, to bring back because uh, there will be very, very difficult questions of having to consider separation of uh, children from mothers, of the stigma attached to some of these um, um, uh, returning Iraqis to communities where their association, and in some cases not just sort of association by, by family relationship with, with ISIS. So all of that is something that uh, I find that uh, there are good partners uh, now within the Iraqi system. They're working closely with uh, IOM, with our own security personnel in North Northeast Syria, and uh, with um, uh, UNHCR and others. So I, I hope that within the next uh, coming weeks, we'll see that first step of removing that particularly vulnerable population uh, from our whole over. Thank you, Ambassador. Ambassador Yassin. Uh, um, no, thank you, Well, I actually can only echo what uh, what my colleague uh, Matt said, uh, and thank you for the uh, support that the 
the embassies giving uh, the Iraqi government to carry this out. Um, uh, no, and of course, I'll, I'll defer to what the uh, uh, Minister of uh, Displaced Persons will say when she comes here next week. She's on the ground. And of course, uh, if Lise wants to chip in, that's a subject she knows very, very well, um, but um, far better than I do. Uh, but the point that I want to raise is that this is something that we need to address because otherwise it's, it can transform itself into a ticking time bomb with, um, you know, uh, disenfranchised uh, youngsters who uh, will remain marginal to the society and could many, many years later um, constitute, like I said, ticking time bombs with um, a resurgence of, uh, of uh, the ISIS ideology. Over. Thank you, Ambassador. Mr. Rahman, any thoughts on this? You're on mute. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, Kak Sarheng, you mentioned justice and accountability being the one of the questions that has come up to you. Uh, justice and accountability is, uh, I think, critical to the future of Iraq for us to be able to move on from the old wounds that we have inflicted on each other and then the more recent wounds inflicted by ISIS on various groups. Um, I think it'll be very hard for us to move on without justice and accountability. Uh, it's great that UNITAD is working on gathering evidence of ISIS crimes and uh, according to UNITAD officials, they're getting a lot of help from the Iraqi government as well as the KRG and lots of NGOs. Um, so I hope that the evidence that they gather will result in prosecutions, whether in Iraq itself or in European countries or Western countries where foreign terrorist fighters uh, went from those countries into Iraq and, and conducted genocide, or indeed whether Iraq itself, uh, whether in Kurdistan or elsewhere in Iraq, can establish a court, perhaps a hybrid court to put on trial uh, these criminals. Um, I know there are many in Iraq who don't want any international involvement in this, that's okay, so long as we're dealing with it. But are we dealing with it? Are we really putting people on trial for sexual enslavement, for uh, genocide, for crimes against humanity? Uh, these are issues that I think need to be dealt with. And if you talk to any Yazidi or Christian, this will be one of their priorities. And I think it's important that we deal with it. Thank you. Thank you. So if I may um, uh, group... Uh, some uh, elements of issues uh, that I think they are connected to the elections. I mean, we've seen in the past two years, Iraq's youth take to the streets and demand change. Uh, it resulted in a number of change already, um, call for early elections uh, decided, uh, new electoral law um, uh, and uh, other related matters. Uh, uh, Ambassador Tuller, you mentioned and stressed the importance of uh, international monitoring, which is something that Grand Ayatollah Ali Sistani and others have also uh, flagged. And uh, Grand Ayatollah Ali Sistani has also really stressed that how critical the elections are as a mechanism for change uh, in his uh, January <coughs> 2020 uh, comments um, that the next uh, elections and the parliament that will come out from the free will 
of the Iraqi people should determine uh, the, the key matters that are uh, central to Iraq's destiny. For the Iraqi youth and the Iraqi people to turn out uh, and have faith that change through uh, nonviolent means is possible, uh, the, the election is an important piece and uh, the international uh, 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 monitoring is a key part. But key to the, that peaceful future of Iraq is also how uh, Iraq can uh, tackle the difficult questions uh, of the grievances of the youth, the civil activists that are being targeted and, and, and killed and pushed out of the, their areas. So the election alone uh, will not is a really important piece, but how the youth and the energy of the youth uh, so is protected, is channeled into the system of matters. Uh, so I wanted to uh, uh, get your thoughts, uh, Ambassador uh, Tuller, first, if there are additional thoughts you want to uh, talk about how, in the context of the relations between the two countries, the United, uh, the, uh, the United States could help Iraq tackle uh, some of these issues beyond uh, election monitoring. You, know, you said, uh, said important ingredients in your remarks earlier, but I wanted to get uh, your thoughts uh, in a more focused manner here on this particular angle of it. Okay, well, well briefly, um, almost universally in my conversations with Iraqi counterparts, there's a consensus that the election in 2018 uh, was uh, deeply flawed. Uh, flawed because of very low turnout, but also flawed in uh, the confidence that people had that it was uh, held in a, a fair, honest, um, and transparent manner. Uh, I think there's a very, very strong desire amongst the Iraqi people to see uh, the next election held in a, a manner that gives them more confidence in, in the result. Now, I think that was also very much a theme when we saw in late 2019, in the fall, October, November, uh, those uh, young people uh, that came out and were demonstrating against what they thought was a political elite that did not represent them and did not speak for them. Now, sadly, of course, what we've seen is almost from near the end of uh, 2019 and ongoing, is a very, very concerted effort, I think, to suppress that movement, to suppress that voice, even though that wasn't just young people coming out. My own sense at the time was that across the board, uh, Iraqis uh, felt uh, pride and a sympathy and a resonance uh, in that message. From the international uh, community, of course, a number of us are involved both directly and through UNAMI in support to uh, ensure that uh, the election is, is held uh, on a technical basis in a way that is um, uh, consistent with uh, best practices, that uh, what we can provide in, ter some, in terms of monitoring, which as you said, uh, Ayatollah Sistani himself spoke about a UN role in monitoring and overseeing the elections, in a way a veiled condemnation of the political powers uh, and lack of confidence that they're able to do that. We're attempting to find ways in which we can um, provide some sort of international support beyond just the technical assistance. But my own view is ultimately, uh, this is an Iraqi election and no amount of international support is going to be able to give the credibility to the process unless it's seen by Iraqis as being run by Iraqis in a way that produces a result that uh, reflects the, uh, the will of the Iraqi people. I think it would be uh, unrealistic to uh, expect um, sort of a uh, total sea change. But I think what many people hope is that the next election will at least uh, be an improvement and uh, begin to restore 
uh, a very, very tattered faith uh, in the elections and the political process. I think that's extremely important because if there is the opposite result, then I think the whole question of sort of participatory uh, politics, rule of law, and building of state institutions will really suffer a very, very serious blow, and we don't want to see the consequences of that. Over. Thank you, Ambassador. And if Ambassador Yassin and then Mr. Rahman, can I get your uh, thoughts briefly as we are getting the end of, your, uh, end of our time? Uh, Ambassador Yassin? No, thank you, uh, Dr. Hang. I um, sort of echo uh, much of what um, you know, uh, Ambassador Tiller said. Um, one point to be said about Iraqi elections is that the uh, uh, that, uh, incumbents actually, uh, the, the, the change in terms of composition is pretty high. Uh, a larger per percentage of incumbents uh, in Iraq are not re-elected than, than many other places. Uh, but the important thing is for the new faces that come in to be recognized by uh, all those uh, protest movements in order to for them to get a sense of ownership of, of the political process. And um, I have to say that, you know, the issue of electoral reform has been with us ever since the beginning. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, I lay the blame on the United, the United Nations uh, foremost because of the, uh, they saddled us with an electoral system that was not really well suited to the, to the nature of Iraq. Um, hopefully this new law will uh, be, lead to better results. But the important thing is uh, for us, of course, to have as high a uh, level of uh, participation as we can. And I can tell you that all Iraqi embassies have received instructions to seek uh, support from uh, our host countries uh, to uh, try to hold these elections in, this, uh, in a fashion that will instill a lot of confidence in people. Of course, the best way to uh, make uh, to minimize the impact of uh, fraud, fraud and, and cheating in, in elections is to have a high turnout uh, rate, and I think that's what we're all aspiring to. Uh, what I will say also is that the uh, issue of the elections is, you know, grabbing people's attention. Uh, just this morning, I think the uh, IHEC, the Iraqi High, uh, the independent. Uh, uh, election on uh, High Electoral Commission uh, came up with a decision to forego expatriate voting, which is going to create a lot of uh, dissension here uh, amongst the expatriate community that we'll have to deal with. Uh, their reasons are constraints in terms of time and in terms of cost, and usually the uh, turnout is uh, pretty low. If we had some uh, a way of um, uh, having electronic uh, and verifiable identification for Iraqis throughout the country, uh, I think we would be able to conduct uh, elections in a much easier way, in a much verifiable way, a much more verifiable way. And so that's one of the areas where, you know, by technical assistance, our, our partners uh, and, and allies can help us improve uh, the electoral situation in Iraq, specifically by for example, promoting the development of uh, uh, and spread, uh, spread spread the use of uh, uh, smart uh, ID cards that can help geolocate people and so that you can draw electoral uh, lists um, uh, with, with little, uh, little trouble and loss of time. Next. Thank you, Ambassador. Ms. Rahman, if we can get your thoughts briefly as well. Uh, well, really very little to add. Uh, their excellencies have really covered the ground I agree with everything they said about uh, how critical these elections are. 
and the credibility of these elections being so important for all of us in Iraq to have faith in the next parliament and government. Um, just to address the question of, of the grievances of Iraqi youth, and I would include uh, the youth in the Kurdistan region in that. And I think this also addresses the issue of many of the displaced people. It's really the economy. It's the lack of jobs. It's the lack of prospects. It's not just that I don't have a job today. I can't even see a job for myself in the next five years. And I think that is another key area that needs to be addressed. Um, how to really improve our economy, uh, how to find jobs, create jobs, uh, look at uh, industries like agriculture, tourism, uh, perhaps some light manufacturing as ways that could create jobs for our youth and also for the displaced communities. Uh, this is something that we're very much focused on in the Kurdistan region. Uh, we do our best to work with the US Chamber, with the US Kurdistan Business Council, uh, with chambers across Iraq, actually, not just the, the Kurdish chambers. Uh, I mean, Kurdish chambers working across Iraq with other chambers. Um, but really, I think firing up the economy and creating jobs will really empower our youth. And that is something that we need to do a much better job at collectively in Iraq. Thank you. Thank you, Ben Khan. Uh, 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 we definitely have lots more questions that we could not get to them, and I apologize to our audience that we couldn't work through them. I promise that we will be more uh, events in the future that we will continue this discussion on these topics, and there is plenty of uh, analysis and material uh, on the issues that we, uh, a good number of issues that we discussed today uh, on the USIP website, usip.org, that you can uh, can check out. Uh, I wish that I had the more time um, uh, to ask one final question, but we are running out of time. But I, um, uh, and I really thank um, uh, Ambassador Tuller, Ambassador Yassin, and um, Representative uh, Abdurrahman for really taking the time out of their busy schedule to uh, discuss with, a, with us today uh, very uh, specific issues that uh, are central to the uh, to Iraq as a country for peace and stability, uh, but also for uh, productive, positive relationship between the United States and um, uh, and, and Iraq. And in there, and my final question would have been that 18 years into uh, uh, the relationship after the 2003 war, and as we go into year 19. Where, uh, where, where, what, 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 uh, what message would they have for um, uh, the, the young Iraqis and the young Americans uh, who are watching this relationship and those who have been watching with uh, positive and, uh, 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 view and with um, uh, also some frustration? Uh, I think you gave us a good set of uh, issues about why that relationship matter, that there is an active partnership, that there are pra pra practical ways that you are pursuing. And uh, it's great to hear that some of the challenges uh, that um, there's a determination by the administration that Iraq's sovereignty will be key and those solutions that will be pursued will have special recognition of that. And uh, it is a partnership and, uh, and uh, USIP, you can count on USIP as a, a, as a partner to help in achieving those objectives that you laid out. And as I mentioned earlier on the very difficult and important issue of the human legacy uh, of ISIS and the IPs and the camps, 
uh, we will uh, discuss that those next week with Iraq's uh, migration and displacement minister. Uh, thank you again, and uh, thank you for our audience for tuning in. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Music